Do please turn to the passage that Doug will be preaching on for us shortly. 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. And we'll read the whole chapter together. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt round his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace." But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Manaheim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do with him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned for seven years in Hebron and for 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, Speak. And he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, and why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, 
God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. So King Solomon sent Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Ananoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest of the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told to King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus says Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place whatever. For on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, What you say is good, as my lord the king has said. So will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for many days. But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Makar, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei arose and saddled a donkey and went to Gath, to Achish, to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place whatever, you shall die. And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed 
and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Please have your uh, Bibles open at the passage that Benedict read a few minutes ago, 1 Kings chapter 2. I'd like to begin uh, this evening by saying to you that if you are a Christian, you are completely secure. You are completely secure for a number of reasons, but one reason you are completely secure is because you belong to a kingdom that is completely secure. You might not always feel very secure, perhaps especially if you are facing persecution or some level of opposition, as many Christians are in this world because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is that if you are a Christian you have ultimate security because God's kingdom is absolutely secure. And that is the main theme of our passage this evening, the security, the absolute security of God's kingdom. In in 1 Kings chapter 1, which we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, we, we saw Solomon being crowned as as king, the, the promised son ascending to the throne despite the uh, ambition of uh, Adonijah and his attempted coup. And then here in chapter 2, we see Solomon establishing his kingdom. That is the key idea that we have in our passage this evening. And that uh, key idea is is expressed in, in really two headline verses. You see the first one there in verse 12. We're told that Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And then right at the end of the chapter, similar words, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So that is the key idea. That is the main theme of our passage uh, this evening, Solomon's kingdom being established. And by that is meant that his kingdom was made firm and secure. That's what we're talking about here this evening, the security of Solomon's kingdom. And this evening, what I want to do is to consider what made Solomon's kingdom uh, secure, uh, what, what were the ingredients that served to establish his kingdom, and uh, by implication, what makes the kingdom of God uh, so secure. And in our passage, we see essentially uh, two main ingredients that served to establish uh, Solomon's kingdom, and they, they both had to do with the king. The first thing that uh, established Solomon's kingdom was what we might call the righteousness of the king, and then the second thing was the power of the king. According to this chapter, according to 1 Kings chapter 2, it is the righteousness of the king, and it's the power of the king that makes for a secure kingdom, and we'll look at those two things in turn. So first of all, we see the righteousness of the king, and that's just in the first four verses, and then the rest of the passage is to do with the king's power. So David, he, as he says, is about to go the way 
of all the earth. He's about to die, and before he dies, he gives his final charge to his son uh, Solomon, his last will and testament. And in the opening four verses, we see King David instructing his son in the kind of king uh, that he is to be. He tells Solomon that he is to be strong, that he is to show himself a man. And how is Solomon to do this? How is Solomon to be strong? How is Solomon to show himself a man? Well, it's not, you'll notice, by amassing a huge army, nor is it by acquiring lots of wealth, nor is it by forging alliances with foreign nations. These are the sorts of things that other kings at that time, and I suppose even today, would do to, to show their strength and to show their manliness. But for Solomon, who is God's king, God's promised king, in God's promised kingdom, the priority, you'll see, is radically different. He is to be strong and manly by, verse 3, keeping the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. And so you can see from uh, verse, verse 3 that obedience to God, obedience to God was the a key requirement for God's king. That was what really mattered above all else, that the king, as a man of faith, obeyed God, that he was obedient to the whole law of Moses. David speaks of the statutes and the commandments, the rules and the testimonies, those terms expressive of the totality of the law of Moses. And such obedience was to be carried out, of course, in the context of a covenant relationship that God had established with his people, with the king as the representative of the people. And this basic requirement of, of obedience on the part of Israel's kings had been made very clear in the, in the law of Moses, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so what David is doing here is essentially to reaffirm that, that that basic requirement, that injunction that we read about in Deuteronomy 17. He is saying to his son, who has ascended to the throne, Solomon, be strong. Solomon, be a man. How? By living in obedience to God. Live your life in covenant faithfulness to the Lord your God. Be a righteous king. And David then goes on to explain the purpose of such obedience, the purpose of such righteous living. He goes on to say, Obey the Lord your God, keep his charge. Why? Verse 3, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Prosperity, success was promised to God's king if he obeyed the law of Moses. And such prosperity, we need to notice, was defined in terms of never lacking a man to sit on the throne of Israel. In other words, and this is really the key point, the abiding security of the kingdom, never lacking a man to sit on the throne of Israel, that abiding security of the kingdom 
was conditional upon the righteousness of the king. It was conditional upon the king's covenant faithfulness. Now, perhaps you say to me, well, isn't it true that earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had graciously promised to David that he would have a son to sit on his throne uh, forever, that, that, that his kingdom would be effectively an everlasting kingdom. And, and, and God had promised that. God had made that unilateral, unconditional, gracious covenant promise. And, and we must emphasize in the light of 2 Samuel 7 that on the basis of that gracious covenant promise, disobedience on the part of the Davidic king would not in the end jeopardize the long-term security of the kingdom because God's promise would not fail. And yet, and yet, at the same time, this text does teach, and there are others like it, that the fulfillment of that gracious promise of 2 Samuel 7 would only come about through the faithfulness of a king. God's gracious promise of an everlasting kingdom would be realized through the obedience of a king, which of course raises the obvious question, is there such a king? And if there is, who is this righteous king who will fulfill the terms of the covenant and thereby establish this everlasting kingdom? Who is this righteous king through whom God's kingdom would enjoy everlasting security? Was it Solomon? Well, Solomon does, as I I hope to show in just a moment, display a marked degree of righteousness in the rest of this chapter. But in the end, as I'm sure you know all too well, Solomon did not live up to his father's charge. Solomon fell short of being the king that the kingdom needed, as of course did every other Davidic king except one, Jesus Christ. And it is, of course, the Lord Jesus who is the righteous king. It is the Lord Jesus who kept the charge of the Lord, his God, all of his days, at all times. It is the Lord Jesus who walked in the ways of God Without fail, it is the Lord Jesus who obeyed all of God's commands and did so with all of his heart and with all of his soul. Jesus Christ is, in other words, the righteous king through whom God's promise of an eternally secure kingdom has been realized. He is the one who has fulfilled without fail and absolutely perfectly all of the conditions of the covenant, and he has done so on behalf of his people, on behalf of all of those he represents. And therefore, with Jesus as your king, you belong to a secure, a completely secure kingdom. And that means that you too are completely secure. And this is the application of these verses to you. Verses 1 to 4 Do not say to you, this is how you must live. 
They are not calling you to live in obedience to the law of God. You should, of course, live in obedience to the law of God. Plenty of other parts of scripture make that very clear. And you are strong as you do so. You are strong, you are manly or womanly as you obey the Lord your God. But these verses here in 1 Kings 2 do not say to you, this is what you must be like. No, these verses say to you, this is what your king is like. These verses say to you, you have a king like this. You have a king who has kept the charge of the Lord. You have a king who has obeyed all of his commands. You have a king who has walked in all of his ways and kept all of his statutes. You have a perfectly righteous king. His name is Jesus. And with him as your king, the kingdom is secure. And so we see in the first place that the security of the kingdom depends upon the righteousness of the king. And that righteous king is not Solomon but the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. But in the second place, we also see that the security of the kingdom depends upon the power of the king. Point number two, the power of the king. And it's it's really the the power of King Solomon that we see um, being uh, displayed in in the rest of uh, this chapter. And it's seen in particular as he, by his royal power, overthrows Uh, the enemies of the kingdom. And this is uh, essentially what David had exhorted Solomon to do in the second half of his uh, charge to him. Uh, David uh, told uh, Solomon to execute certain men, uh, Joab and Shimei, or Shimei, however you pronounce it. Uh, He told Solomon to, to get rid of them because of their guilt, because of their disloyalty, because of their opposition to the kingdom, because of the danger that they posed to the establishment, the security of the kingdom. That was David's charge to him. David's last words before he died, get rid of the enemies of the kingdom. And this is then exactly what we see Solomon going on to do. And we're not going to look at every single detail you'll be pleased to hear in the rest of the chapter. I'll just pick out the highlights. And there are four individuals that we see uh, Solomon eliminating. First to face his wrath is Adonijah. Now, we came across Adonijah in chapter 1. He was the one that uh, exalted himself, who wanted to be king, who put himself first. He had a lust for power. And his attempted coup had, of course, been foiled. But he'd been shown mercy uh, despite his rebellion against the promised king, the king of God. He'd been shown mercy. Solomon had uh, spared his life. And he told him to uh, turn away from his wicked desire for the throne. And Solomon, in his goodness, had warned him that if he, if he didn't turn away from such a, a wicked desire, then he, he would face the king's wrath. He would, he would be punished. He would face death. He'd made that very clear at the end of chapter one. But tragically, here in chapter two, we see that the, the leopard hasn't changed uh, his spots. Despite the mercy that uh, Adonijah had received, despite the warning that he had heard. Adonijah, we see in chapter 2, is, is still 
the same man. He is still scheming to gain the throne uh, for himself. He still has that lust to be first, that lust for power, that lust to sit on the throne. And that is, that is the significance of his uh, request to be given uh, Abishag as his wife. You remember that uh, Abishag was, um, was with David at the start of 1 Kings 1, uh, one of his uh, concubines. And uh, Adonijah requests that uh, he be given uh, Abishag as his wife. It might seem like a relatively innocent request to us, but actually it wasn't. It was a clear um, grab for power. And we, and we know this because at that time, um, if you were to ob- obtain the previous king's wife, or, or concubine, and, and that is how Abishag would have been viewed. If you were to obtain the previous king's wife or concubine, then that was tantamount to claiming that king's position. It, it, it would have been seen as a, um, a sort of legitimacy-enhancing marriage. I've got the, king, the previous king's wife or concubine, therefore I, I should be king. That was, that was the ploy. And while Bathsheba was deceived about Adonijah's true intention, Solomon was not. Solomon saw very clearly that behind Adonijah's apparently innocent request lay that uh, insatiable desire to gain the throne for himself. And this time round, Adonijah's rebellion, his, his sedition, his treason is now punished. And he is put to death. And then we learn about Abiathar, the priest. Abiathar, who is, I think, a very sad case. Because he had started so well, Donald John's been going through um, 1 Samuel, and we've come across Abiathar in 1 Samuel, and uh, he, uh, he was a loyal servant of, of David. He, he suffered with him. He, he carried the ark of the Lord, as the text here says. He had served David well, but, but then for some reason, Abiathar had lost his way. He had, as we saw in chapter 1, decided to side with Adonijah. And in so doing, had betrayed the, the, the true heir, the true king of the promise, Solomon. It, it is hard to know why uh, Adon, um, Abiathar did this. We're, we're not told. But, but for some reason, for some reason, he had lost his way. So while Solomon decides not to execute him, he does show him a, a degree of mercy because of his previous loyalty to David. Nevertheless, Solomon banishes Abiathar. He he casts him out and expels him from being a priest to the Lord. And then we're told in the remainder of the chapter about Joab and Shimei. Both of them are punished with death. Joab, because of his blood guilt, he was the one who had killed Abner and Amasa at a time of peace. He really was a very brutal man, Joab, a a killing machine, really. He lived by the sword, and then, in the end, he died by the sword. And then there's Shimei, and he is uh, executed because he had broken his oath 
uh, the oath that he had sworn to the Lord to remain in Jerusalem, despite being warned that if he did break his oath, he would die. Now, there is a lot more that could be said about these verses, obviously not covered everything this evening, but the main message here is this. Solomon is exercising his royal power to punish and to eliminate the enemies of the kingdom. He is getting rid of those who are a threat to the security of the kingdom. And in so doing, of course, Solomon is establishing his kingdom and making it safe. And what needs to be emphasized so strongly is that what Solomon does here was right. Solomon's actions were just. They were the righteous exercise of his royal power. Now, I guess a lot of people today would dispute that. I can imagine a lot of modern Western readers reading a chapter like 1 Kings uh, chapter 2 and, and, and saying, who, who was this, this wicked, paranoid tyrant uh, Solomon? being excessive in, in, in the use of force, get, getting rid of executing uh, Adonijah, Joab, Shimei, and, and expelling uh, Abiathar. Were, were, were these not the actions of a cruel and, and, and paranoid tyrant who, who, who would do anything to boost his, his own position? We've just heard this past weekend about the death of Alexei Navalny, and a number of people are pinning the blame for his death, of course, upon the president of Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin. And you might read a chapter like this and say, well, Solomon's a bit like like that. He's a bit of a tyrant, a bit of a dictator who cannot stand any opposition. But what we need to understand, we need to see things from the Bible's perspective. And while what Solomon does here might, might make you and many people today feel somewhat uncomfortable. The text itself makes it very clear that Solomon's actions were right. There are several verses, I believe, that show this, but I'll I'll just look at one, just one example. Uh, Look with me at what Solomon says in verse 23 when he's dealing with uh, Adonijah. There we read that King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God Do so to me and more also if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. So here Solomon is invoking the name of God in in the execution of Adonijah. And and you could respond and say, well, anyone could, could do that. Anyone could take God's name to justify his actions. That doesn't in itself mean that what he did was right. But then the key thing is what he goes on to say in verse Uh, 24. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. Note the words that Solomon uses there. The Lord has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father. Where else do we hear those words? 
do we not in those words hear an echo of the comments of the narrator in those headline verses? Verses 12 and 46. Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And the point is this. Solomon's actions come with the divinely inspired narrator's implicit endorsement. They come with his approval. It is right that Solomon establishes his kingdom by eliminating his enemies. His, his use of power to overthrow the enemies of God's kingdom accorded with, with God's will. They were consistent with his purpose. And that is because to defy God's king is a capital crime. We can actually say more than that. Here in 1 Kings chapter 2, we can say that in his official capacity as the Lord's anointed king, Solomon was very much the agent of divine justice. That's what's happening here. Here we see Solomon as God's promised king in God's promised kingdom, executing God's righteous wrath against God's unrighteous enemies in order to establish God's righteous kingdom. That is what is going on here. It is deeply theological. Solomon is the agent of divine justice. And of course, in a similar but so much greater way, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do one day. This is where this passage takes us. It takes us to the end of history, to the final establishing of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus when he returns as God's all-powerful king in all of his glory and in all of his majesty and he judges the whole world in righteousness. He won't just judge a few individuals. He'll judge everyone. And the thing that the reader needs to take to heart is this, that if you, like Adonijah, have refused to accept Jesus as your king, or if you, like Abiathar, have perhaps started well but end up turning away from Jesus, or if, like Joab, you continually defy Jesus and go your own way, or if, like Shimei, you, you make light of the commands of the Lord Jesus, then Jesus, the greater than Solomon, will pour out his wrath upon you. And he will fully and finally and forever overthrow you together with all of his enemies. And he will be entirely right to do so because he is God's king and to defy him is a capital crime. What Solomon does here foreshadows 
what the Lord Jesus will one day do. And so all I have to say to you in closing is this. Your only safety is in submitting to King Jesus. That is your only safety. Your only ultimate security is Jesus Christ. So if you have not yet submitted to him, then you must do so now. Come to him. Repent of your sins. Make him your king and he will receive you. He will receive you because he is the greater than Solomon. Greater, yes, in judgment, but also so much greater in grace. If you come to Jesus, then the judgment that you, together with us all, deserve for your sins, you will not bear because Jesus bore it for you on the cross. And if you have already submitted to Christ, if you are already a Christian, then let me assure you, you are absolutely secure. You might not always feel like it. You might at times face great trouble and danger. Christians often do. But if you are a Christian, then you are forever secure in the kingdom of Christ. You'll never be cast out. You'll never be lost. You'll never be condemned because Jesus, your righteous king, has clothed you in his righteousness. And Jesus, your all-powerful king, will forever preserve, protect, and defend you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has established his kingdom. And when he returns, he will establish it in all of its fullness. And you will be there to enjoy his kingdom if Jesus is your king.